All right. Well, good morning again. Um, I'm very happy to be with you guys this morning. Always, uh, I'm always honored whenever I'm asked to to come and speak with you all, and uh, and so I, I've looked forward to this day. Um, Pastor approached me a few weeks ago, and he told me that he was going to be doing this series called Chain Breaker and talking about prison experiences and, and different people in the Bible who'd been through those sorts of uh, circumstances and, and the things that God did in their lives. And, uh, and so I immediately told him, I said, well, if, if you want me to preach one of these, I'd like to do Peter. Uh, because Peter, Peter is one of my favorite Bible characters. For me, there's no one that's more relatable in the Bible than, than the Apostle Peter. Um, because, and, and here's the big reason why, if you want to find somebody who does not have it all together, who messed up every now and then, it's Peter, right? And I can really relate to that. You know, I, I definitely mess up from time to time, and I'm sure you guys have as well. In fact, uh, I was thinking about it, and I, and I thought, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is writing, and he said, you know, God has chosen the foolish to confound the world, and he works through the foolish. And, uh, you know, Paul may very well have been thinking about Peter when he penned those words, because if you read the Bible, you know that they didn't always see eye to eye. But it's funny, because, you know, we, we always try to act like we've got it together. We put on a good face. We try to pretend like, you know, I've got my hair always fixed, I'm dressed looking good, everything's caught up, you know, and we try to give this persona that everything's all right, when underneath, we're all just sitting there like scrambling, you know, trying to act like we've got all our ducks in a row. Um, but Peter's life, really, if, if you were to, uh, if, you, if you wanted to make a movie about the life of Peter... Sure, you could focus on the miracles. You could focus on the way God used him. You could focus on uh, the dramatic parts of his life where he was able to stand up and give witness. But if, if you do that, you're missing out on a whole other part of Peter's story, which is really more of a comedy of errors. You know, when we look at Peter's life, there's just a lot of things where it's like, man, you need to pull yourself together, boy. So... Let's begin by turning to the passage in Scripture that we're going to be looking at today. Actually, I've got quite a few, but this is the story of his prison escape. So we'll be in Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 through 19. And I have all my many uh, post-it notes in here to mark my spot. All right. It says... About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. And when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. And this took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up! And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals, and he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. 
They passed the first and the second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. Then he, when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking, and when they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said, and then he went away to another place. This is just a funny story to me. All right, he, imagine Peter, he's in this prison cell, he's chained to two guards, one on either side of him, and an angel shows up. And I, as I read it, the, the more I read it, the, the, the funnier it got to me. It said the angel didn't show up and say, hello, Peter, or anything like that. It said it actually kicked him in the side to wake him up. Now, I'm a deep sleeper, and my wife will tell you that it takes a lot to wake me up. So I have to feel like if I were the one in that prison, it'd probably take a lot of the same thing. In fact, uh, Jeff Matherly was talking to somebody this week about how deep of a sleeper I am. Uh, there's, at youth camp a couple years ago, I needed to get up at a certain time to get up and go do my responsibilities at camp, and so I set my alarm on my phone. Well, you know how camp is. You don't get much sleep. You're tired. And so that alarm went off, and I wasn't moving. And then my second alarm went off, and I still wasn't moving. And apparently by the time my third alarm went off, everybody in the room was awake except for me. And uh, so one of the people uh, very kindly took their shoe and threw it across the room, and it bounced off the wall and hit me, and, uh, and that finally woke me up. But anyway... This is just another example of how much Peter is very relatable to me. You know, the angel shows up and rather than being like, oh, hey, there's an angel here. No, they had to kick him to wake him up. Then he, he had to walk him through step by step. He said, get up. Then he said, now get dressed and put on your sandals. Okay, now put on your coat and follow me. It's like he had to walk him through step by step. Peter was so out of it. He had no idea what was going on. And, and so the, the angel, I had, to actually, I had to actually walk him through all the steps. And then he shows up at his friend's house and he's beating on the door and just beating and beating on the door. And they're inside going, it's Peter. No, it's not. It's Peter. No, it's not. You know, why didn't they just open the door? The whole thing is funny to me. But what stood out to me in this story is that the physical change that held Peter down, the, the, the manacles that were on his wrist, they weren't even that big of an obstacle for him. It says when the angels show up, it says they just fell off of him. You know, he didn't have to work at them. He didn't have to snatch the key off of one of the guards and open it. It says they literally just fell off of him. And so when Peter got to this place in his life, we see that the chains coming off of him, it's, it's a, it is an experience that he was familiar with. But the chains that, that Peter typically dealt with were not physical chains. They weren't handcuffs. They weren't manacles and fetters and all that kind of stuff. It was typically chains in his mind. Uh, they were the chains that held his way of thinking, and they held him back from accomplishing the things that God wanted to do through his life. 
So today, instead of talking about the chains in the prison, which were really no obstacle at all, I want to talk about the chains in his mind, the thoughts that Peter had to break free from to accomplish all that God wanted to do in his life. So what chains are we talking about? Well, the first one I want to talk to you today about is he had to break free of the chain. It was the expectation of others. The expectations of others. And uh, John uh, chapter 1, verse 42, I want to read this to you real quick. This is uh, John recording the very first time that Jesus met and spoke to Peter. It says, Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Names were a very important thing in the ancient world. Names are important to us now, but they didn't have quite the meaning that they did back then. When you named something, it said several different things about that relationship. First of all, when you named something, you were saying something about the character of that object. You were saying something about the character of that place. You were saying something about the character of that person. When you named something, you were telling us something about that person. Think about it. The, the names of cities in the Bible, Bethel, the house of God. You know, you think about um, different things, uh, different uh, Abraham, how he had his name changed from Abram, father, to Abraham, father of many. Names were very important. Names identified the character of the person. And also, when you named somebody, it implied that the name giver knows something about the person or the thing that is being named. Jesus knew something about Peter that nobody else had known about him. He saw something in Peter that nobody else had seen in him. And third, the name giver has authority. If you're an explorer and you're the first person to find a mountain or a lake or, or a, whatever it is that you find, you have the right to name that, right? If you're a scientist and you discover a new species, they allow you to name that species. Why? Because you're the one that has the most knowledge of it. You found it. You discovered it. Jesus knew something about Peter. That's why he was able to change his name. And I wanted to talk to you just a little bit about what those names are. Simon, son of John. Simon was a form of the name Simeon. Simeon meant hear, listen, and obey. It had that, those three connotations. Now, if you know anything about Peter, that's not a real good description of him. Did he hear? Not real well. Did he listen? No, and he wasn't typically the most obedient either. So when his parents, they had named him when he was a child, when he was a baby, they were speaking prophetically into his life. But for whatever reason, he had not lived up to those expectations. So Jesus looked at him and he said, no, 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 they got it wrong. That was your name. Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be known as Cephas. He was saying something about Peter that was going to change who he was and what the expectations were about someone. Have any, have any of you guys ever known somebody and you just looked at them and you said, oh, well, he looks like a Brad or she looks like a, a Jessica or, you know, and we think we know something about that person. And then maybe when you get to know him a little better, you're like, no, he's definitely a Gary, you know, whatever it is, <laughs> you know, and so. The name was something very important. The name represented the expectations that his parents had for him. 
The name represented what they wanted to call him and what they thought his life was going to be. I've often told this story. It, it, it amazes me. When I was in fourth grade, I don't know why this sticks out. She wasn't my friend. I was never very close to this girl. But there was a girl in my class, and her name was Amber Dexter, and she was ambidextrous. And it just blew my mind as a fourth grader. I was like, how could her parents have known, right? You don't know when a baby is a baby that they're going to be right-handed or left-handed or ambidextrous. I, I was just like, this is amazing. It was the coolest thing to me that this girl named Amber Dexter was ambidextrous. But see, the name speaks something about that person. I don't know how her parents know. Maybe an angel revealed to them, and that's how they, they knew what to name her. But either way, your name speaks something over you, and it... It is the expectations that your parents had over you. They're speaking prophetically into your life. My name means gift of God. My parents were right. They were right on it. Uh, I don't know how they knew I would be so awesome, but they figured it out. But second, the, the other expectation that was placed on Peter from, uh, an early, from early in his life is that he was a fisherman. All right? Back in those days, you did what your father did. It was just understood. You went into the family business. And so Jesus, when he had this encounter with Peter, he had a transition. He went from being a fisherman to being a fisher of men. And you got to believe that that caused some waves in Peter's family when he announced, I'm leaving this. I'm going to go follow this dude, Jesus. Now, it was an honor to be accepted as a student of a rabbi, but you got to know that his family was thinking, you're not really rabbi material, right? You're just a fisherman. I mean, later on in the Bible, it describes him as, as uneducated, right? And, you know, he wasn't the cream of the crop. He wasn't the best student, probably, you know? But he had to get rid of that expectation that he was just going to continue on in the family business and do what God had called him to do. We see this... Um, we see how he finally broke free of those past expectations. If you turn to Acts chapter 4, and we look at verses 18 through 20. Let's see here. This is when um, Peter was out preaching with John, and they were called in before the Sanhedrin. They wanted them to stop doing it because it was messing with things. It was getting people to convert and start following Jesus, and they were being threatened by uh, what was happening, the miraculous things. And so they called Peter and John in, and they called, it says here in verse 18, they called the apostles back in and they commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think that God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. This was someone who, you know, by this point in his life, Peter was like, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you're asking of me, what you're requiring of me. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm a witness. I'm one of Jesus' chosen to go out and to share the good news. So we see that he did get victory. He did break free from that chain of expectations of others. We all have that too. All right. In our lives, we have people who have expectations of us. And sometimes those expectations do not line up with what God has told you to do. And so it takes courage to stand up and say, listen, I know this is what you think I ought to do, but this is what I know God has called me to do. And so if you're ever going to accomplish what God has called you to do in your life, you have to break free of the chains of the expectations of others on your life. The second chain that he had to break free from was his old ways of thinking. 
you know, there was a bumper sticker that, that, that was, someone posted a picture of it on the internet. I loved it. It said, there are two things I hate, change and the way things are. And I thought, man, that sums up humanity so well, right? Because none of us are happy with the status quo, right? We always think it could be better. But then when someone comes along with an idea on how to change it, we're like, no, 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 no. That's not the way we do things around here. I don't know what it is about us. There's something in our psychology that says, look, this is how I need to do things. This is what's worked in the past. This is the way things are done. And if you try to do this, this is threatening to me in some way. Especially if you've been the one that was in charge, you were the one that made the decisions, someone comes along and says, hey, let's try this new way. For some reason, we get defensive about it. We feel like, hey, this is an indictment on, on my decisions and on my leadership. And, and I don't need your help, bub, right? I mean, that's our natural response. And Peter fell victim to that the same way that we did. In Luke chapter 5, verse 3 through 11, uh, in Luke's version of when Jesus met Peter, they all tell a little different story. They all give the different perspective. Um, you know, we talked about how in, in, uh, in John it focused on this name change and the identity, whereas Luke was trying to tell us how Jesus changed the paradigm for, for, Paul, uh, for, for Peter. Because when he found him, he was fishing. And they'd been out. They'd been fishing all night. He said, let me use your boat. And then when he was done teaching the people on the shore, he said, let's go back out and let's go fishing again. And Peter said, listen, we've been out all night. We've worked. We, we, we've done everything we know to do. The fish just aren't here tonight. They're not biting. I'd say not biting, but they use nets. You know, he said, it's just not going to work. And so Jesus said, just try it anyway, right? And when he did, when Peter cast the net again and, and followed Jesus' directions, what did they do? They dragged in a huge load of fish. It said so large that they had to call for help. All right. And and that was like the step one. That was like the, the, the first sign to Peter that, hey, if I'm going to do something in my life, I'm going to have to change the old way of doing things. I'm going to have to start following this Jesus guy. I don't know him very well. I mean, he just showed up in my boat, started telling me how to be a fisherman. What does he know about fishing? He's a carpenter, right? But when you do things Jesus's way, that was like the first light bulb moment, the first aha moment that Peter had. Then we see, you know, that that wasn't the only one. If you follow his career following Jesus, we see that Peter had several of these aha moments. For instance, in John chapter 13, it records how Jesus was, wash, was washing the disciples' feet. He was trying to model for them what servant leadership was, what true leadership was. And Peter was having none of that. He was like, no, sir, you're not washing my feet. That's not the way things are done around here. Right? That's a slave's job. That's a servant's job. That's not the Lord's job. That's not my Savior's job. That's not my teacher's job. And Jesus said to him, he's like, look, unless I wash your feet, you have no part of me. And there you see that Peter had another aha moment because he said, OK, wash my feet, wash this one, too. Wash the rest. Come on, shampoo my hair, get all the fuzzies out of my beard. Let's do the whole thing. Right. Because he was realizing that that old way of thinking, that old understanding of what leadership looked like, Jesus turned that upside down for him. So Peter had to break free of that one. Another one, uh, example of this when Peter had an aha moment is in Acts chapter 10. It says that Peter was up on the roof and he was praying and it was about midday and he was hungry. He's about to eat lunch and God gave him this vision of these unclean animals descending from heaven. And he told him to eat these unclean animals. Now, in the Jewish faith, there were certain animals. You could eat this and you couldn't eat that. And, and Peter said, no, 
Lord, I'm not going to eat those. Those are unclean. I've never had those unclean animals. This was the law. This was the rule. This is the way things are done. God, you don't understand. Don't ask me to do that. That's not the way we do things around here. But Peter, through that vision and through the, the instruction given to him to visit Cornelius, was able to see how God was expanding the gospel message. It wasn't just a message for the Jews. It was a message for, for all the people, for the Gentiles as well. In fact, you get to the place where after he speaks to Cornelius and that house comes to believe in God, it says that he turned to the people that were with him and he said, is there anything that could stop them from being baptized as well? You know, and, and Peter became one of the biggest advocates. It records early in the church. It was a big discussion. It was a big point of debate. They were saying, hey, is, is, is the way, is, is the faith, is the salvation that Jesus brought, is it just for the Jews? Is it for the Gentiles too? Peter was the one there saying, hey, look, I don't understand why God does it the way it does. But when I went and preached to Cornelius, they became saved. They got baptized and they spoke in tongues just like us. If God says that they're in, they're in, right? So Peter had to come free of that and he led others as well. He broke free of that old way of thinking. There is a danger to inertia. And like I said, it's something that's built into us. We like things the way they are. I think part of it is because we, when things are comfortable, when things are familiar, we, we just feel better about life. We, we know what to expect, right? It, it, it is. It's easier. I hear Miss Dorothy down there. You know, they talk about football players after they get drafted. And they say, you know, those, those first few games are really rough for them because they have to adjust to the speed of the game. And you think about that and you're like, well, didn't they play in, in high-level college programs? Didn't they play high-level football and do very well, obviously, if they were drafted into the NFL? How can they not know how to play at that speed? But it's a whole different ball game when you get there. And so it takes them a while to build some, some comfort and, to, and to, to build that ability to process things on the level that needs to be processed. And if they don't adjust, I mean, think of all of the players that they were fantastic in college and then when they try to go pro, they just didn't make the cut. They couldn't make that change. There is a danger to inertia. Our circumstances change. You know, your life is not going to be the same. It's not the same in 2017 than it was in 2007 or in 1997. You know, life changes every year. You know, you have to reassess. You have to come back and you say, how did we do this year? Where am I in my career? Am I moving ahead or am I stagnant? Am I staying where I am? You know, water has to move. If it doesn't move, it gets sick, right? It gets stagnant. It gets stinky. It gets, you know, buildup of bacteria and all that kind of fungus and, and moss and all that kind of stuff. You got to, the water has to keep moving. And we're the same way. Now, obviously, there is truth. There are things that don't change, but we have to not be afraid to try new things. One of the coolest things I've ever heard was um, I, I was listening to a podcast of, of this business leader, and he was talking about how his company was able to innovate and change and stay on top of the things that were happening. And he said, the, the way we've done that is because whenever we introduce a new program or a new way of doing something or a new product or whatever, he said, we don't say okay, we're making this bottle of water and we will make this same bottle of water the same way for the next 50 years until, you know, everything dies. You know, they're not committed to one way. He said, every time we introduce something, we say, this is how we're doing it for right now. And six months from now, we're going to reassess. A year from now, we're going to reassess. And it's the same way we can get stuck into an old way of thinking and it can be a chain that holds us back. When God came 
it, it turned the whole paradigm upside down with leadership, with salvation, the way it worked. You know, and so we, if we're going to be the people that God has called us to be, we have to break free from that, tra- that chain of, of, of the old way of thinking. The third chain that he had to break free from uh, is what, what I'm calling rashness. Uh, but uh, it's basically a lack of patience or self-control. Um, I have a TV show that I love to watch. And uh, it's called Parks and Recreation. They don't make it anymore, but there's this one character on there that I just love him. He makes me laugh all the time. There's this guy on there. His name's Andy Dwyer. He reminds me a lot of Peter, all right, again, because he's always messing something up. And uh, two of my favorite Andy Dwyer quotes was uh, his, his wife comes home one day and he says, I tried to make ramen in the coffee pot and I broke everything. And I was like, yeah, I can relate to that. And then another time they gave him a, a job to do at something and, and they asked him, they said, well, how are you doing? And he said, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm doing it really, really well. All right. <laughs> Both of those things kind of capture where we are sometimes because sometimes we're like, okay, God, I've, I've, I'm, I'm on board with what you're trying to do. And so we jump ahead of ourselves and we get ourselves in trouble. We get ourselves into hot water. And we do that. Why? Because we lack patience. We lack self-control. And Peter, again, struggled with that. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is sharing with the disciples. He says, listen, this is how it's going to happen. The Son of Man is going to be handed over. He's going to be uh, beaten, and he's going to be tried and, and falsely accused, and, and then he's going to be killed. And, and Peter, he wasn't having any of that, right? And he stood up and said, no, 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 Jesus, this will not be. That, that's not how this is going to go down. And Jesus called him on the carpet right then and there. He said, listen, get behind me, Satan. All right. I don't know about you, but if Jesus called me Satan, that would be that'd be a little bit of a crushing blow for me. I don't know. But but Peter, he 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 jumped ahead of himself. He opened his mouth. He started talking about something that he had no idea what was going to happen. He had no idea that that was part of the plan and the process that God had planned out for for Jesus. And he stuck his foot in his mouth and he got in trouble. In Matthew chapter 17, we see um, he was present uh, at the uh, the transfiguration. And let me uh, flip over here and, and talk to you about this. I love this one. All right. At the transfiguration, this is when Jesus went and he prayed and, and God gives, uh, allows them to see the appearance of, of Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And some of the apostles witnessed this. And it says, um, as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. And Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. This is what I love. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Peter was out of his depth. He had no like he couldn't even understand really what was going on in this moment. And rather than staying quiet and listening and watching and, and learning from, from what he was witnessing, he opened his mouth, he stuck his foot in, and it says that even as he spoke, the voice from the cloud interrupted. How many of you guys have ever been talking and you're talking foolishness and someone just cuts you off? They're like, no, you don't know even know what you're talking about. <laughs> William's over there raising his hand. Uh, yeah. 
So, um, but yeah, that, that happens sometimes. Sometimes we start talking and we try to act like we know what we're talking about, but we have no idea, right? And it would have been better off for us to just keep our mouth shut, right? The, the, how's the old saying go? It's better to, to uh, keep your mouth shut. Or I don't even remember. I, the, the, the one about uh, instead of opening your mouth and, and confirming the, the foolishness. And there you go. There's me opening my mouth, confirming foolishness with a quote I didn't look up. All right. But Peter, he, he had that kind of mentality. He's like, okay, we're on board. Let's do this thing, right? And we see that in other times too. When Peter was called out of the boat to walk on the water, he said, you know, no, nobody else was brave enough to say, Jesus, call me out on the water. He was brave enough. He had the, the desire, right? His mind was in the right place. He said, I see Jesus. I want to get to him, right? But he got out there and he got in over his head and he began to sink into the waves, when Jesus was arrested in John chapter 18, it records that Peter pulled his sword out and, and chopped a guy's ear off. And, and Jesus had to be like, put that away and, and healed the guy's ear. I think it's funny, uh, when I was looking this up, you know, um, in, in all of the Gospels, it records this story, but only John is the one that names Peter. So I thought that was funny that he was the one that called him out. All the other uh, descriptions said, well, one of the disciples, one of the apostles did that. But John was like, no, nah, it was Peter, guys. Uh, threw him under the bus. But Peter had that tendency to get himself in trouble by opening his mouth when he shouldn't, by acting when he should have waited, by going when he should have stopped. He, he had that tendency to stick his neck out and then get in trouble. But we do realize, and we see this later in his life, that he was able to break free of that as well. He was able to develop those fruits of patience and self-control in his life, of waiting on the Lord. In 1 Peter 1, 13, here he, this is towards the end of his life, and he's giving advice to, to the people who are under him. And he says, listen, guys, don't do like what I did. He said, think clearly and exercise self-control. Somewhere between the stories in, in, in the Gospels and the end of his life, he realized that, hey, listen, just because you've got good intentions, just because you think you know what's going on doesn't mean you've got to jump, right? Wait, see what the Lord is doing, and then get on board with that rather than trying to forge your own path. Because guess what? When we try to do things our own way, it's not going to work out as well as if we just waited and followed the plan that God had put, on, put for us. Then the last chain that, that Peter had to really deal with in his mind was that of guilt. And uh, I'm going to tell a story. I don't know if I've even shared this with my mom and dad. But um, when, when I was a child, and I'm not sure I remember all the details correctly. I do remember certain things about this story. But I was young, and uh, we were in Virginia at the time. And I think we were having some sort of church function at a place called the Shot Tower. And it was this old uh, Civil War structure where they would uh, make the, um, the, the, the lead bullets for the Civil War soldiers, and then they would drop them down the tower into this bucket of water at the bottom, and it would collect it and all that. And if you wanted to go in and tour the shot tower, you had to have some money. And uh, so I'm there, and there was you know, three or four of my friends there with me, and they were like, man, we need to go in and see the shot tower. And so... I thought, sure, I'll just go. And I don't even know why they were there because my grandparents lived in Illinois. They must have been visiting for some reason. But my grandfather was there, so I went and I asked him. And all my friends are there behind me. And I said, Grandpa, can I have some money for us to go to the shot tower? And he said, sure. So he reaches in his wallet, he pulls out a $20 bill, and he gives it to me. 
So I go up to the shot tower to the guy that's at the front of it and who's collecting the money and all that. And I just I gave him the twenty dollar bill and uh, and I paid for mine and then I paid for all my buddies with me and we all went up in the tower and uh, and we got to see the shot tower. Well, when I came back to my grandfather, he said, "Well, where's my change?" And I said, "Well." You gave me money for the shot tower, so I spent it on the shot tower. I wanted all my friends to go with me. And, you know, he didn't fuss at me. He didn't, uh, he didn't you know, get on to me or anything like that. But in that moment, I realized I was like, oh, I basically stole money from my grandpa. And, like, I don't know why it's been such a weird thing in my mind, but for years, like, every time I think about that little story, and it's simple, it's insignificant, but I feel guilt over it. It's like, I stole money from my grandpa. And if I'd have just asked him, he'd have just given it to me. He's that kind of guy. But it's weird how things that shouldn't cause us to feel this terrible sense of guilt in our life. And that was just a small, insignificant thing. I have failed in many, many worse ways since then. And we all have. We've all made mistakes. I'm sure that there's not a person in this room who doesn't have some things in their life that they wish they could take back. You're hoping nobody had a video camera rolling. You're hoping nobody has a recording of what you said. You know, um, we all have those things that we feel guilt over. And the problem is, is that a lot of times that will prevent us from stepping up and, and doing something. Because why? When, when you are standing up and you are proclaiming the gospel for the God, you are the one that, that people are focusing on. Think about it. If you keep your mouth shut, if you don't say anything... People aren't going to say anything to you. But the moment you stand up and you say, guys, this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. That's when you hear the, well, who are you to talk to me? I was there when you did this. I was there when you said that. And, and so it's, it's funny how you know, guilt can cause us to hold back and not do those things that God has asked us to do. Of course, Peter obviously felt a lot of guilt. In Mark chapter 14, verses 66 through 72, we have the story of how Peter... Uh, denied Jesus. I'm going to flip over there and read that real quick. Mark 14. It says, Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below, and one of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by, and they noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, You were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. Just then, a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, This man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, You must be one of them because you're a Galilean. Peter swore, A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tw twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he broke down and he wept. Guys, it doesn't get much worse than that. This was someone who called you out of your old life, who commissioned you, who renamed you, who said you are going to be the rock upon which the church is built. And he failed him in such a colossal, colossal way. You know that Peter felt bad. It tells us there how he wept, how he was broken. If you want to come on up, we're getting towards the end here. But 
We also see that guilt manifesting in other ways. Even after Jesus was uh, risen, even after he came back and revealed himself to the disciples, we see Peter and he's kind of overcompensating for things, right? For instance, when the women came and they told him, hey, the tomb is empty, it says that he and John ran down to the tomb and it said that Peter outran John. Peter was older than John. He was outrunning the youngsters. Why? He was compensating for something. He felt some guilt. He, he, He wasn't sure what was going on but he knew he had to be there. He had to make it right. We see again a time when the disciples were out in a boat. It says they were fishing and Jesus walks up on the shore. And as soon as Peter realizes it's Jesus, what's he do? He strips his tunic off and he jumps out of the boat and he swims to shore. And it's not like the other disciples were just ignoring Jesus. No, they were, they were rowing in, but Peter was like, I got to get there first. I got to get there now. I got to get there. It's because he felt that guilt. It was a chain that was holding him back. It was something that was was weighing on his conscience and it was keeping him from being the person who God called him to be. And that's when we find one of the greatest examples of redemption that we see in the Bible. In John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, Jesus calls Peter over. They'd just been sitting around a campfire. They'd been eating some fish. And it says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, notice he went back to the old name, I thought that was interesting. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I don't think it was coincidence that one, he used Peter's old name, Simon, because he was kind of at a crossroads. He said, listen, we've been through a lot together. You're now back with me. We've made it past that denial but you're at a crossroads. You have to decide who are you going to be? Are you going to remain Simon, son of John? Or are you going to be the Peter? Are you going to be Cephas? Are you going to be that rock upon which the church is built? And I don't think, I don't think that Jesus was trying to hurt his feelings by asking him three times. I think it was a very clear, intentional thing when he was saying to Peter, you had three opportunities and you denied me three times. I'm going to give you three more opportunities to make it right. In that moment, Peter was broken free from that chain of guilt. He was able then, from that point forward, yes, he had made a mistake, a tragic mistake, a terrible mistake, something that he he was probably ashamed of for the rest of his life, but he was free of that guilt because he'd been forgiven. This was the same man who in just a few few short weeks would be standing up, preaching to a crowd, and leading 3,000 people to believe in Christ. He only did that because he was able to break free of that chain of guilt. Guys, we all have chains in our lives. We have things in our life. We have lies that we have believed about ourselves that we've either told ourselves or that someone else has told us. You know, maybe someone spoke some things over you and you've carried that around the rest of your life. 
you know, maybe I am worthless. Maybe I am not worth much. Maybe I don't have anything to offer. Maybe that's the, the person who spoke those lies is yourself. We are all so critical. How many times do we stand and we look in the, in the bathroom mirror in the morning and we're getting ready and we don't like what we see? How many times do we think back on things that we've said and done during that day and we think, man, I could have handled that so much better. Guys, we can't believe these lies that we tell ourselves and that other people speak over us. We have to break free of those chains. And guys, there's nothing that's too big for us. When Peter had actual chains on him, God was like, that is nothing. They fell off of him. He didn't even have to do anything. All he had to do was get up and put his coat on and he walked right out. But the chains in his mind took a whole lot more. I mean, hopefully these stories have, have shown you that, you know, it took a whole lot for Peter to get to that place mentally where he needed to be so that he could operate as the person God called him to be. So today, I want to ask you, is there something, is there a chain that you've had in your mind? Maybe it's a wrong way of thinking. Maybe it's ignorance. Maybe you just don't know what to think. Maybe your intentions are correct, but you, you tend to jump ahead of what God's trying to do and you mess things up. Maybe you feel guilt over some things that you haven't done. Maybe you are weighed down under the expectations of friends or family or coworkers or bosses, and those expectations of others are preventing you from being who God has called you to be. Guys, whatever your chain is today, I want you to know that you can be free of that. You know, the Bible teaches us that we shall know the truth and the truth shall set us free. Who is the truth? Jesus is the truth. Who is that word that was there when the world was created? Jesus was there. And when we cling to him, when we cling to what Jesus taught us, there's no chain forged in heaven or hell, heaven or earth, anywhere that can hold you back. He is the truth and he will set you free. But... There's a, there's a breakdown in the process. Sometimes we know the truth up here, but we don't know it down here. Right? We can know it. People can say, you're a great father, but down here we don't feel like one. They can say, you're a great husband, but we don't feel like one. We feel like a failure. We feel like I've messed up. We feel like I've fallen short. And those sorts of things can't do anything but hold you back from walking in the freedom and the joy of who God has called and made and built and gifted you to be. So today, as we close, I want to pray right now. And if there is anything in you that's been holding you back, maybe you're afraid to speak up. Maybe someone has been telling you something and you've convinced yourself that it's true. We're going to pray that God will break those chains because this body has a purpose. This body has a, something that God has put us here for. He wants us to make a difference in our community, in our families, and we can't afford to be held back by chains that, that aren't even really existent. They're just chains in our mind, and we've got to break free from those. So if you've been held back today, we're going to pray right now, and just everyone in your seat, I'd like everybody to just bow your head, and we're going to pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity to study and learn more about Peter and the struggles and the chains that he had to break free from. Lord, it wasn't physical chains. It wasn't handcuffs. It wasn't fetters, Lord, that held him back. It was chains in his mind, Lord. 
we thank you that we see that we can be free as well. Lord, if we are under the expectations of others, Lord, we pray that that you would help us to see that what others say about us is not what matters. It's what you say about us is what matters. We're not who other people say we are. We're who you say we are. Father God, if we are bound by old ways of thinking, if we do the same thing because that's what worked in the past or we can't seem to break away from what makes sense to our mind to see things the way you see them. Lord God, we, will, we pray that you would just break those chains as well. Lord, don't let us become inert. Don't let us become stagnant, Lord. Help us to follow and move with you. Lord, one scholar describes it as a dance, Lord. When we are following the, the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, it's like we're dancing with you. And Lord, we want to follow your lead as we dance with you. Lord God, if we have had a tendency to have good intentions, but we jump ahead and we don't stop and we don't take time to think and ask you, Lord God, before we make another decision, Lord, before we uh, confront someone, before we do anything, before we make a big choice about how we're going to do something in our career or in our home life or whatever, Lord, help us to stop, to pause, to take a moment and to ask you what you want us to do, Lord, and find those places where you're moving. Find those things that you're doing, and Lord, help us to get on board with what you're doing. And Lord God, if there's anybody in this house that feels the weight of guilt and shame, Lord, it says that when we ask for forgiveness, that you take those sins and you separate them as far as the east is from the west. Lord God, you remove them from us. You cast them into the sea, never to be remembered again. But Lord God, we remember them. And we hold ourselves back with that guilt. Lord, I pray that you would break that chain of guilt. Lord, I pray that when someone walks out of this house today, when they walk out of this church today, that they will be feeling a lightness of their feet, a lightness in their spirit, knowing that those things that they were ashamed of, those things that they wish they could take back, no longer are they going to hold them back from the things that they have been called to do by you. God, we love you so much. We thank you that you are a chain breaker. We thank you that there's no prison, no physical prison, no mental prison, no spiritual prison that can hold us. Lord, we walk in your truth and your freedom. And we pray in the name of Jesus.